0: Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me my God. Today we're looking at a passage where it's pretty much like, how bad can you make it? And then we're going to do one more. All right. Like it's, it's, yeah. And so people that, that say like, Hey, I I can't believe the Bible because I see bad stuff in the world. Well, I'm just like, well, you haven't read the Bible because the Bible is very clear that bad stuff happens. It's in there. It's like, this is what mankind is like. This is what the world is like. And so when I've experienced those things in my life, I I don't say, well, man, I can't trust the Bible or I'm I'm walking away from the church. I say, no, yeah, it's exactly right. That's exactly the way it is. This is the situation that we find ourselves in. And so um, one commentator said this about the passage we're gonna read today. He said, God works through and often in spite of the limited self-serving plans of men. And so even though we as men, we come up with how we think it should be or how we need to deal with this situation or what we want and we make a total mess of everything, God is so big and so good that he can work through that and he can work through it good even. And so I want to encourage you kids that no matter how bad it might get, how, ma- how tough a situation might be, how bad an experience might be, even in that God can work. And he can work good in your life. No, uh, kids. There's also some topics in this passage today that you might not fully understand what it's talking about, and that's okay, because as you grow up, you'll understand more. Um, and if you want to understand more today, ask your parents. So, <laughs> well, the first one is going to ask is my kids. So he's over there ready. Genesis 34, now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. And now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a broad price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, "'We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you becoming circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves.' And we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of the city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let us dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. "'Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? "'Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. "'And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, "'and every male was circumcised, and all who went out of the gate of his city. "'On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, "'Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure.' And killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. And the sons of Jacob came up with the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field. And all their wealth and all their little ones and all their wives and all that was in the houses. They captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites and the Perizzites, my numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Welcome to Potter's house. (laughs) I challenge any of you to come to me afterwards, like, here's the happy little neat bow you tie on that, that passage. (laughs) Because there's not one. We just read a whole chapter of like, this is human mess. This is, this is, this is just mess. This is just junk. And here, here's my main takeaway from this that I want to make sure you have in your life. Life is in a sin-filled world is messy. It is messy. We should expect it. But there is solutions to that. And that's where the scriptures keep going. But at points, all you see is what we see in this passage in that you're in the mess and that it's messy. And so this, this passage, it is, it's ugly. But here's why it's so true. Do men still do the things to women that was done to Dinah? Yes. Do men still seek out others and kill them and take their stuff? Yes. Do people still corrupt and misuse the things of God? Here's what I mean by that. They took the symbol of being a person of God and they weaponized it and turned it into a weapon to attack these people with. Do people still take the things of God and twist them and distort them and use them for their own purposes? Yes. Do people still act out of greed and wanting what other people have? Yes. Why did the village agree to it? They're like, look at all their stuff. We could get it all. Once the the brothers went in and killed all the men, what did they do? They took all the stuff, greed. And so it's so true the kind of world we live in. This is the human condition. This is what, what it's like. As much as we might want to, to paint a, a, a nice little picture over it or, or make it all look nice and neat and clean, this is the reality. This is the kind of world that we live in. And so the question is, how, how as a Christ follower do I engage that world? How as a Christ follower do I live in that world? How do I follow Jesus in that kind of world? Because you know whose name we did not see in Genesis chapter 34? Anybody? God we didn't see God in Genesis chapter 34 at all. At no point does, does Jacob say, wait, let's ask God what we need to do here. No point does his son say, wait, what, God, how would you have us respond to this? At no point does Dinah say, hey, God, what, what, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? At no point does Shechem say, hey, I'm kind of scared of God and what God might do to me in this situation if I do this horrible thing. At no point does God even come up in the story because it's just man living based on man. And honestly, that's what we see kind of throughout the Old Testament. It's just this picture of God saying, here's how you should live, and then where is man? We're over here, right? God's like, hey, do this, don't do that. And what do we do? The opposite. And that's what the Old Testament lays out for us over and over again. But what does God keep reiterating to the people throughout the Old Testament? He keeps hounding on a theme. This theme of justice. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is a God of justice. And even in this story, um, Jacob's uh, Jacob's sons, what are they wanting? They're wanting justice for their sister. Now, it's very debatable on whether they actually sought justice or if they sought vengeance. Because those are two very different things. But scripture is very clear. Let's look at Micah 6.8. This is what it says. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. So in the middle of a messed up world where they are not just, where they are wrong, where, where we mess things up, what should we want? We should want justice. We should strive for justice. Love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Isaiah 1:17 says this: Learn to do good, seek justice correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And throughout the Old Testament, we see these these constant reminders of like, hey, as God's people, this is who I want you to be. I want you to be like me. I want you to be just. I want you to bring justice on the earth. Um, And you know what they did? Not that. And that's where the good news shows up of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came into the world as the only one who never did bad, who never brought the corruption, who never did the evil in his life. And Jesus had this to say to the religious leaders of his day. Um, In Matthew, he says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, those who know the old Testament, the best, those who know God's words, the best, those who are leading God's people, woe to you hypocrites for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So Jesus is saying like, hey, yeah, out of the whole Old Testament law, here's what's the most important, justice, mercy, faithfulness. What are you worried about? Whether you gave 10% of your herbs Anybody got an herb garden? Are you giving 10% of your leaves? I don't know what we'd do with them at the church, but yeah, that's what they were doing. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, this is more important. You're worried about this little bitty thing over here and you're missing the big picture. And the story goes on and, and what we see through the New Testament is the fact That the most unjust thing that ever happened is the thing that we have the most hope in. Here's what I mean by that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. Scripture is very clear that the wages of sin is death. He did not deserve it. He did not deserve to go to the cross. He did not owe that price. Do we? Yes. Did he? No. So when you talk about justice, when you talk about being fair, And people want to accuse God, well, God's not fair. Actually, the only unfair thing was the fact that Jesus, the son of God, died on a cross. Because that was not fair. He didn't deserve that. But he willingly went to that for us because he saw the mess that we're in. And he made a way through that for us to be made right with God. And for him to clean up the mess that we've made. And so in Jesus' death, we see hope. That's also why in the New Testament, if I did a little word study this week, you don't, you know, if you do a word study on the word justice in the Bible, Old Testament, (laughs) New Testament. Why? Because when Jesus came, he changed the paradigm. And what he made very clear to us is the fact that, yes, God is still just and he's going to carry out justice. But you know what? We don't have to worry that much about it. We can leave it to him. We can leave it to him to handle these things. And in Romans, uh, it it really kind of spells this out. God is a God of justice and he wants his people to be people of justice, But we see this in in the New Testament. Well, before I get to Romans, let's go to Matthew 5, where, where we kind of see the other side of this coin. And what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, starting in verse 38, he said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs of you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow you. And so if we're, if we're trying to, to advise Jacob's sons on how they should handle the situation in Genesis 34, where do we go? Do we go to Micah 6.8? Do justice? Do we go to Matthew 5? Turn the other cheek. When we try to advise ourselves on being a Christ follower in a messed up, messy world, which way do we go? Do we say, hey, seek justice? Do we say, hey, turn the other cheek? Which way is it? Because we can see both in Scripture, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know that there's one right answer here, but there's a lot of concepts for us to wrestle with, okay? Okay. And so I'm just going to muddy the waters really good this morning and then hope the Holy Spirit's it all up for you, okay? But in Romans 12, Paul is, is talking to Christians at Rome, uh, Christians at Rome who live under a very evil and messed up emperor, who, like this guy, would take Christians put them on a pole, soak them in gasoline or the equivalent they had at that time, set them on fire to light the city. All right. Like that, that's the kind of person that Paul's talking about being an authority when he writes this. Okay. So if we, if we want to talk about how bad our government is a little perspective, all right? Like, so, but here's how Paul tells them to, to, to deal with the messiness of the world Romans 12:18 If possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all Beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord To the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So again, Paul's kind of reiterate that turn the other cheek mentality that, that Jesus had taught. But then he goes on in chapter 13, and he says this, Let every, every person be subject to the governing authorities. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the, the authorities or ministries of God, attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I know some of you, uh, when we read that passage and you think about applying that to today, you say, yep, got out of it right there at the end. Respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. They don't, they don't deserve any of that, right? You're like, wait, can you be that? What, 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 what are you saying, Wayne? What I'm saying is this this passage is clear that yes, we live in a messed up world and God has instituted governments and society structures to curtail that. And, and he puts those in place and then he takes those out of place and puts other ones in place is what we see throughout scripture. And when, when, we understand this, but also we take it and we apply it to the kind of government that we live under, it changes our approach a little bit too. Because when you're, you're in a, a democratic kind of government and as the people you are selecting your leaders and pointing the direction of what justice looks like in your country or in your city or in your province or for you Americans in your state or, your, or whatever, when, when we're in that kind of setting, then, then we have, a, I think, a responsibility as a Christ follower to try to point that culture and that society to what is good, just as he's saying here. And so as, as we do that, that means engaging in the culture, engaging in politics, trying to, to put people into office that would align with what God says is just. And so as, as a Christ follower, I think we have that. And I, I, would, I would love to see more and more Christ followers who are serving in that way and serving our society, serving our culture in that way. And what this passage is saying is, hey, this is a very real role. God puts people in these roles for the purpose of curtailing and curbing the evil, the messiness. I think this applies to um, governing officials. I, I think this applies to those who carry out uh, the laws of the land. Um, so, police officers, militaries, these kind of things. I think this applies in all of those ways. A really, a really tricky aspect of, of understanding this is, um, especially over the last 150, well, really forever, but we really can see it in history over the last 150 years, is, well, how does it work when maybe there's one government that's in place that isn't carrying out justice? In fact, they're, they're enacting evil instead. And, and how does that work? And that's where we get into all of these world wars and all of these things where we're, we're trying to one government fighting against another government, and, and how do we interact in that? And those are tough questions. Those are good things for us to wrestle with as followers of Christ, because the fact is, it is a messed up, messy world. And we do want to turn it towards Christ, we do want to turn it towards God and towards His mercy, but also towards His justice. And what's clear in Scripture is that God does execute His justice through us through human means in this, in this time. But ultimately, a time is coming where he's going to execute his justice in full. And so, yes, for a Christian, I would, I would advise you that, that maybe if it's just a, a one-on-one personal thing and somebody comes at you, here it is, here, here's the way to me. You slap me in the cheek, then yeah, I feel like you know what I need to do? I need to turn the other cheek. But... You slap an orphan in the cheek and I'm standing there, then I'm coming at you. Does that make any sense? Like there's, there's, there's a difference there. And, and that's kind of the extreme case, but this is something for us to wrestle with as a Christ follower, how do we live and engage in a messed up messy world? Because I, I don't think that Jacob's sons got it right. I don't think they handled the situation the right way. I think they went a little overboard. All right? Um, And I think Jacob even felt that way as well uh, because kind of near the end of Jacob's life, uh, he, he says this about this passage. In Genesis 49... Jacob is looking back, and he says this. Let my soul come not into their counsel. He's, oh, back to verse 5. Uh, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel, O oh, my glory. Be not joined to their company. For in their anger, they killed men, and in their willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And so at the end of Jacob's life, when he's blessing his sons, he comes to these two, and he looks back on what they did in this situation. He's like, it's bad. Don't. It's bad. They, they are operating out of their anger. And so that's, that's another thing when if you're talking about seeking justice, are you seeking justice out of a desire for what's right and what's right before God and how God would have it to be? Or are you seeking vengeance out of anger? Which is it? And that's where we really have to check our hearts. And we have to say, God, what do you want in this situation and where are you in this? And so, like I said, this is not a happy, good, feel, feel good message today because it comes from scripture. And sometimes scripture meets us where we are in a messy world and it's not all happy and feel good. But I want to encourage you with this. Let's be people who humbly follow Jesus and seek justice in a messed up world. That can be our takeaway from this. We don't want to follow their example of Genesis 34 but we know that the situations of Genesis 34 are very real and very likely things that we will encounter in our lives. And so how are we going to be prepared to deal with these things and engage these things as a Christ follower? Let's pray together. Jesus, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity. We have to come and worship you and look at your word. I thank you for how real your word is and the fact that, that in it you, you show us like these are things that have happened. These are things that will probably happen again because we as people have brought sin into the world. We have messed up your perfect creation. Lord, I thank you that Jesus came to make that right and to restore what we have broken. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't have the hope of Jesus that maybe today they might place their faith in you and find that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are just. You are righteous, and yet you are also merciful and loving. And we thank you for your plan of redemption, for how you have come and made right what we have messed up so badly. And God, I thank you for who you are and for all that you do for us. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. As you feel